we are the descendants of 40 million people who left other countries, other familiar scenes, to come here to the United States to build a new life. I think it is not a burden, but a privilege. Welcome to Statutes of Liberty, an immigration podcast brought to you by Classco Immigration Law Partners. I'd like to welcome everybody to another episode of the Classco Immigration Law Podcast. This podcast will be focused on something called the International Entrepreneur Rule. On May 11th of 2021, we got news that the Biden administration was going to withdraw a regulation that would have ended the proposed International Entrepreneur Program. So today we want to let you know who can benefit from the International Entrepreneur Program, some of the criteria for that program. Uh, and with me, I've got a couple of experts in working with entrepreneurs and startups. Uh, my partner, Elise Fialkowski, and uh, one of our senior counsel, uh, Drew Zeltner. So let's start out, Drew, and get right into it. Who are the people who are targeted for this program? So, so startup founders, Bill, key startup employees, I think, are ideal targets for this program. You need to keep an ownership stake in the company of at least 10% um, in order to apply. So it is going to be someone who has a fairly high-level position uh, in the startup. And that 10% can only go down to a 5% stake when you go to file for your two-and-a-half-year extension down the line. So it is folks, I think, who are going to have skin in the game. And uh, do they have to be providing capital to this business in any particular amount? They do. Um, they actually have to have investments, um, which we'll talk about at a certain level, or government grants or awards in order to meet the requirements uh, to apply for the parole. So they might not have personal capital, but uh, they might. They must have attracted at least some capital from outside. Correct. That's a requirement in order to file. Okay. Now, uh, Elise, what about the immigration situation that people find themselves in? What should people be thinking about uh, about the kinds of immigration situations that this program is is meant to solve? Right. So that's a great question, Bill, because this program allows for parole, right? So it's an initial 30 months of parole and then another extension of 30 months. So normally we will look at whether or not we can get someone another immigration status first, right? Um, one of our first go-tos is the H-1B. Um, but for almost all startups, they will have to qualify under the H-1B cap. Um, and as we saw over this past year, even if you have a U.S. master's degree, you may only have about a one in three chance of getting selected in the H-1B cap. So anyone who's capped out from that H-1B may want to consider this. Um, we also do a lot of O-1s, extraordinary ability alien visas for founders and key employees of startups. And we've actually been very successful in getting those O-1s. But what if we just don't think the O-1 criteria um, are met? Um, then we would certainly go to this rule. Um, the other things that we're gonna think about too, of course, are the E-2, the investor visa, right? Um, but as we know, the E-2 is only eligible 
if there is the requisite treaty for the E2. Um, sometimes we've done some uh, startups for the E1, but most of them are all under the E2 investor. So you do need that qualifying treaty. But the issue becomes for a lot of our folks who want to use the E2, uh, their countries don't qualify. They don't have the requisite treaty. So for example, a lot of folks from India and China um, are very involved in startups, but there's no treaty there for the E2. So they may want to consider this international entrepreneur rule. Um, our firm also has another option for these folks though. Um, we've been working with a lot of individuals who can't qualify based upon um, their current passport um, and working with them to get citizenship in another country like Grenada, for example, that may allow them to do an E2. Um, and if anyone wants to learn more about that, um, I think it would be great if they could turn to uh, one of our podcasts. I think it's episode 16, the latest on E2 visas uh, with citizenship by investment. Um, and there's another podcast as well that, that might be helpful. That's episode two, avoiding the EB5 China backlog with a Grenada citizenship and E2 visa. So very important to note that, you know, this is a parole. It is not an immigration status per se. So it's not, uh, if we have any kind of status we can get, we might look for that as the first option. But this could be a backup where some of those different immigration statuses aren't available to individuals. Elise, right. uh, can you give us some background of just how we got to this point? Uh, talking about on May 11th, what exactly happened here? How, how did we get to the point where uh, we have a rule that was revoked? Uh, it's a little bit complicated history, correct? Absolutely, very complicated. And Drew and I have actually been dealing with this rule for well over four years and eight months. So Drew and I um, actually were involved in drafting uh, comments to pretty much every stage of this rule, right? Uh, from the initial proposed rule um, to the subsequent history. So just to give a little bit of background, the International Entrepreneur Rule was finalized um, January 17, 2017, um, literally three days before Obama left office. And so that rule was finalized. The Trump administration came in um, and immediately the Trump administration um, looked at the rule and started delaying the, the international entrepreneur rule. So successive delays of the rule. And there were a number of organizations, um, including entrepreneurship organizations and investment capital organizations that actually fought the delay of the rule. Um, I think key was the National Venture Capital Association. They litigated and successfully um, got the rule back in play. Interestingly, though, even though the NVCA um, was successful in the lawsuit, um, when you went at that time on the USCIS website for the rule, um, very shortly thereafter, the Trump administration proposed to actually remove that rule, right? So there was a proposal to remove the regulations that were finalized under Obama. 
And when you went on the USCIS website for the IER rule, there was a huge banner on there basically saying this is subject to a proposed rule um, to end the IER program. Even though I, I think at least technically it was kept alive by that court decision, I think the reality is it had a very chilling effect on folks who would actually contemplate filing um, a case under the rule, right? When the, the administration's view and, and its posture uh, regarding the rule was so negative, right? So I think clearly uh, that's why it, it was not used to a great deal, uh, you know, used a great deal at all in the past. And I think what's so important about the Biden announcement is that it really kind of resuscitates the whole thing back to where we were early in January of 2017, um, you know, with a recognition now that this is something that that's important, that the administration is encouraging kind of as a vehicle for job and, and, and economic growth um, and kind of inviting applications instead of uh, really trying to, uh, you know, I would say discourage those from taking advantage of the regulation. Yeah, I absolutely agree, Drew, right? I think the Biden administration is now behind the rule and sees this really as part of its program to kind of jumpstart the U.S. economy, right? I think there is a recognition under the Biden administration that foreign nationals and entrepreneurs, particularly the folks that really would use this rule at heavily focused on STEM and tech, um, really are benefiting the U.S. economy, um, creating businesses and creating jobs. Right. And I, and I note in our comments to those regulations, we, you and I both cited a great deal of data on the percentage of startups in Pennsylvania and around the nation uh, that have immigrant founders or immigrant co-founders. And those numbers are, are really startling and really shows the, uh, uh, you know, immigrants as drivers, uh, you know, of that of that startup growth. Absolutely. It's wonderful to have an administration now that really recognizes the value of these immigrants. Well, if uh, this is now being welcomed, Drew, can you just talk us through the key requirements if someone's going to be granted parole under this program? Certainly. There's, there are about five key requirements, Bill. Uh, the first is the startup business has to be formed within the last five years. So I do think that's you know rather generous in, in looking at a five-year look back there. Um, the applicant does uh, have to have, as we spoke about earlier, at least a 10% um, ownership interest uh, in the business. And kind of different than what we would expect in an e-visa, the applicant has to play an active role in the operations of the business. You can't outsource um, the management of the business, you know, to a manager. Uh, now, let's talk money, the important part, right? There are two ways to, to really qualify. You have to receive, um, you know, of an investment of at least $250,000 from qualified U.S. investors. Qualified investors really means just U.S. citizens or lawful permanent residents, or if it's an organization that we can trace the ownership, majority ownership to U.S. citizens uh, or permanent residents, or you can do it through government grants. Um, or awards. And the figure for government grants or awards is $100,000. And the regulations make clear with regards to government grants that any contractual commitment for goods or services cannot be counted. It has to be a grant or an award, not a contract. Um, and then finally, there's some requirements that the investors have to meet as well uh, in order to qualify. And the investors 
must have invested a total of at least $600,000 in startups over the last five years. And at least two of the startups must have created at least five U.S. jobs. Or uh, if you don't meet that bar, they've generated at least a half million dollars in revenue with um, average growth of, uh, of about uh, 20% per year. So those are the threshold requirements. Now, you know, I will say the regulation makes clear that if you don't meet those requirements to a T, you can still apply, right? There still may be a path for you, but you do have to show, quote unquote, compelling evidence of the startup's uh, potential for rapid growth, right? So I think if you don't meet those uh, that threshold, we'd have to closely examine, you know, what our argument would be, right, to the immigration service that the startup is poised for growth. But the threshold requirements are going to be $250,000 of the private sector, uh, private sector investment or 100,000 of government grants, you know, or awards. So those are the bars that you're going to need to to clear in order to have a, a viable path here. Right. And Drew, I think you made a really good point, right? So there is this huge focus on the qualifying investors here, right? That not they've got to be U.S. citizens, permanent residents, or a company controlled by U.S. citizens or permanent residents. And that's not enough. They need a good track record, right? So they need a good track record with startups and helping to grow startups. So I think, you know, angel investors, and, and I know we've worked with angel investors that have track records of investments. We also work with a number of VC firms as well. Um, and the investment level here is relatively low, right? So I think this is the kind of rule that may really benefit um, at the early stage, right? So it could be at the angel investor stage and maybe even before, you know, the earlier seed rounds, like the seed A round and whatnot. Um, but I think this works very well for individuals who are attracting interest from agile investors and venture capital firms. And the other distinction that I see too, right, getting back to the, the difference between the, the E2 and this rule, right? The family the E2, money. Right, right, right. So the E2 is foreign money coming in, right? The E2 has to be foreign money that's basically the, the investor's money, same nationality. This is U.S. money coming in to create jobs. Right. U.S. money and those funds cannot be from relatives either. So unlike, you know, in the e-context, you can't get the funding from parents, spouse, brothers, sisters. That is all um, expressly disallowed uh, in the regulation. Right. Now, in addition to that, though, uh, Elise, I, I want to make sure we understand what are the requirements that the foreign national is going to have to meet in terms of their role, uh, in terms of how many foreign nationals can be sponsored. Uh, can you walk us through that? Sure. So the, the good news for this role, right, is that each startup can support three individual parolees, right? So three applicants per startup. Now, the downside for some of this is, right, each applicant under the international entrepreneur rule needs to have a 10% ownership stake. Um, so if you're going to have, um, you know, three applicants, 
you're already at 30%. And unless, and not granted, we have seen this, unless it's perhaps maybe a group of students that have come from a university with a fantastic MBA program or an incubator, you may not have, you know, three individuals that all have that 10% stake. I think that's gonna be the difficulty for us sometimes in getting to that full number of three applicants under the program. So 10%, but once you meet that 10% standard, right, each one of the individuals has to have a central and active role in the business. They need to be well positioned uh, under the regulation due to their knowledge, skills, or expertise, right? So what does that really mean? You know, they can't be a passive investor. You know, they need to be critical. They need to provide substantial assistance with regard to the growth and success of the business. I see a couple of individuals who may um, really be in this role. And we work with a lot of startups all over the country. Um, so a lot of times we have kind of the, the person who's the founder who does the lead tech role, right? So I can see the person who developed the, the underlying tech or platform or whatnot. Um, but also there, I, I think as well, there is a key role for other individuals who may lend expertise to actually manage the business as well. But this is not a passive role where maybe um, kind of like our EB-5 folks who could be a limited partner in a regional center. This is not passive. This is an active role within the startup. Or at least one of the questions that I get consultation requests for all the time is from students. You mentioned students, a lot of them here on F-1 visas. They want to know, can I start a, a green card? Can I start a, a business that's going to uh, qualify me for this IER while I'm on a student visa? Uh, how, where is that line of sort of starting to work while you're on a student visa? So, Bill, that's an excellent question. So, generally, you can do certain very initial stages uh, with your business, but as soon as you're actively managing a business, you are usually passing that line. The good news for some of the students that we work with, um, some of the students that we're working with may actually have work authorization. They may have a curricular practical training related to an incubator program, or they may be in their first year of optional practical training. But there is a clear line. And even though the government is no longer pursuing, um, thanks to litigation largely by our firm, uh, the unlawful status memo for um, F and J students, the government is still looking very closely at any violations of status. So this is something that really should be looked at closely and it could fill up an entire podcast. In fact, Bill, I think you actually have a podcast that's on point with this topic. Isn't that correct? As a matter of fact, episode 12 <laughs> on the podcast is avoiding status violations in the side gig economy. And uh, yes, I was uh, privileged to host that one. So uh, I do recommend that people with that question uh, go ahead and ask for that. Well, let's uh, kind of wrap up uh, a little bit. Drew, I'm going to just 
ask if you've done this uh, IER program, is there a path to the green card that's somehow part of this? Uh, how, how do we understand the international entrepreneur parole uh, in terms of the overall strategy towards uh, staying in the United States? Sure. Well, I think there certainly are green card options to think about. I think the first one that would come to my mind is the national interest waiver, where we could really utilize the standard promulgated under the Donisar case, which talks about the foreign national's proposed endeavor uh, being of substantial merit and, and national importance, and you know that they have the ability to advance the proposed endeavor. And I and I think if you're meeting the job creation benchmarks of the rule, right, where uh, you you would need to hit to get the additional two and a half year extension, you have a tailor-made argument for uh, being able to advance the endeavor and that, of course, it would be beneficial uh, you know, for the U.S. then to waive the uh, labor certification requirement. So I think the, the national interest waiver is a place I would certainly look at. And in the comments to the rule, too, um, DHS mentions the Donatar case. So I think you know, they're, they're ex- even expecting those sorts of filings. Um, you know, If you're from India or China, frankly, EB2 may not do you much good and and uh, you, we may need to look at an EB-1 filing you know, in that matter. And I think the last point I'd make is I think it's very unlikely, right, and I think we've talked about this, that you'll be able to adjust, right, because you're in a parole status. So you're very likely going to have to pursue your green card uh, on a consular processing basis. And we all know with the NVC that that can take some time. So I think, you know, you want to be thinking about pivoting to the green card uh, very early in your, uh, probably in your extension period, I would say, or, or even earlier if, if the startup has really grown rapidly and we can make a judgment, of course, on, on where we are with the case. So there are absolutely, I think, tools in the toolbox for us uh, to consider for folks with regards to green card. Uh, but we have to give uh, you know thought to the timing and, uh, and the route, of course, that makes the most sense in each case. Well, Drew and Elise, this has been a really valuable uh, 20 minutes to get an overview of this program. I would encourage anybody who's listening who wants further details or uh, to explore this option for their own use and and possibly consider other options that may be more appropriate to them to please uh, arrange for a consultation with Drew, Elise, or one of the other attorneys at the firm. We'd be more than happy to answer specific questions about your case uh, with a one-on-one consultation where we can really get into your business ideas, what immigration options you have, and whether this international entrepreneur parole is right for you. That wraps up our discussion today. So uh, just a couple of things. We certainly hope you give us a five-star rating and a review. It really helps people find us on all the different podcast sources. Uh, We'd also like you to email podcast at classicallaw.com with any questions you'd like answered in future episodes of the podcast. And of course, follow us on social media on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, and WeChat. Uh, You can follow Classical Immigration Law and get updates. You can also sign up for email and alerts and blogs at classicallaw.com, our website. Once again, Elise, Drew, thank you so much for your time, and thanks to you for listening. For more information, visit us at classicallaw.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. You can email your immigration questions to podcast at classicallaw.com. The material contained in this podcast does not constitute direct legal advice and is for informational purposes only. An attorney-client relationship is not presumed or intended by receipt or review of this presentation. The information provided should never replace informed counsel when specific immigration-related guidance is needed.